Hello everyone, so honored to be part of this year's State of Black Design Conference. For those who don't know me, which is probably many of you, my name is George Garasegui Jr., a designer, educator, and a host of the Works and Process podcast. I focus on discovering how creatives work and share with my audience the many ways they too can learn about being and becoming themselves a creative individual. I'm excited and I'm excited to bring this live version of the podcast to you today. As part of this year's theme, Family Reunion, I'm looking to revisit some previous guest conversations and find out what they've been up to. This is not only a way, a way to catch up with them, but also I wanna learn more about the people who we should keep on our sights on. So today I welcome back two guests and dig into how they've been moving forward since our last conversation. First is my episode guest, my episode eight guest, Dr. Fahamu Peku. Fahamu is an inter interdisciplinary artist and scholar whose work combine observations on hip hop, fine art, and popular culture to address concerns around contemporary representations of black men. Through painting, performance, art, and academic work, Dr. Peku confronts the performance of black masculinity and black identity, challenging and explaining the reading, performance, and expressions of blackness. Dr. Peku is also the founding director of the African Diaspora Art Museum of Atlanta. Yo, Fahamu, who'd you bring with you? Yo, what's up, Double G? Uh, happy to be here. And I brought my young shooter with me, the one and only Miss Ari Danielle, superstar, uh, breakout artist, um, amazing painter, uh, mm -hmm. super dope person all the way around. So happy to have her join us here. Uh, what's up, Ari? That's so nice. Hi, I'm Ariel Danielle. I'm an artist based, born and raised in Atlanta. Um, I do portraits of myself, self-portraits, and of my friends. I try and focus on um, showing Black women in a light that I like to see them in, which is a positive, friendly, fun vibes type of thing, I guess. Just like keeping it close to what I am and my friends, how we want to be represented in art. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for being here, Ari. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Thank you for Hamu for picking me. And then we have my episode 17 guest, Mike Nichols. Mike is an Oakland-based award-winning creative director, book designer, visual artist, and community builder. He translates ideas into visionary creative solutions utilizing 20 years of design experience and natural talent. Mike founded Umber, a media platform highlighting creative perspectives that matter, which has been recognized by Blavity, Print Magazine, KQED, and Communication Arts. As a community builder, Mike is an advisor to Interact Project, a nonprofit that empowers underrepresented youth through design. Through his work with Umber, he collaborated with renowned creatives around the world, as just like Saul Bass, Tanya Rapley, Souls of Mischief, and Deanna Van Buren. So Mike, who'd you bring with you? Uh, George, what's going on, man? Um, I brought Akin, uh, Akin Tunde Ahmad, um, uh, just, just, a, just a, a powerful dude. I met him through a friend of ours. He is a Columbia, he is a Columbia Journalism Review fellow and also Ida B. Wells fellow. And he's, he's currently a, a, a freelance multimedia journalist and runs a clothing line called Ade Deshaies. Um, he's from Oakland and, um, just an amazing cat, you know, just, just, just truly amazing and, and thoughtful and, and, um, um, a badass really. I mean, I don't know if I can say badass, but <laughs> of course it, you can. So Why not? 
<laughs> Man, I, I appreciate the intro, Mike. Um, definitely a, a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, born and raised in Oakland. Um, got put on to Umber Magazine and the visual work of Mike, I guess like two years ago now. Um, but what I do is a mixture of fashion design, documentary film, um, and then fusing those two together. And so um, all of my work is based on the continent. So the design, uh, the weaving of fabrics, the cut and sew process and manufacturing is all. Uh, my home base is in Accra, Ghana, um, but I source fabrics from Mali, from Burkina Faso, from across Ghana, like uh, heavy on the West African side of things. So pleasure to be here um, and I'm excited to jump into the conversation. Awesome, awesome, and pleasure to meet you both. So, so I want to take a real quick thing to just bring it back to something that I do at the beginning of my podcast. Um, I do this thing really quickly to word association, right? What's the first things you think of when I say these words? These are all different words. So Mike and Fahamu, you're not going to be able to say the same things you said last time. But <laughs> because we have more people on this thing, I want to do it round robin style. Right, so I want Fahamu to go first, then Ari, then Mike, then Tunde. All right, so I'm gonna say a word, and you just the first thing that that comes to your mind. Um, Fahamu, you ready? Let's go. Let's go. All right. Black. People. Ari, career. Driven. Mike, design. Natural. Tunde, education. Matters. Fahamu, purpose. Do it. Ari, opportunity. Seeker. Mike, culture. Now. And Tunde, community. Driven. Cool, cool. I, I already know. said driven. I said driven. Oh, she did say driven. I'm going to say community <laughs> member. <laughs> oh, put you on. You can't. We no repeats. No repeats at all. Spot quick. <laughs> See, everybody's getting along right quick. Um, I mean, so thank you all. That's just like a nice, fun way. I mean, I know we kind of talked a little bit before the this conversation, but I like to just think about things that just start to, you know, percolate in your brain and stuff. And as we kind of revisit, um, I want to. I want to first ask my, my two previous guests, you know, kind of just some follow-ups from our previous conversations and, um, you know, listening back to our conversations and, and, and ending off with like, hey, what's the future hold for both of you, right? I, I literally went back and tried to figure out and be like, hey, did some of those things come true, right? So um, let, let me first ask Mike, right? So when we ended our episode, you know, um, and I think it was in, um, the, probably the beginning of 2021, right? You were focusing on a crowdfunding campaign to grow Umber, right? Mm -hmm. And, and this empire, right? Literally this, this printing empire that you had and this aggressive campaign to put out all these issues out and things like that. How did that pan out? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. Um, you know what? It was, it, 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 it was all about a pivot. I mean, that's really what happened. It was a pivot. And so, um, uh, it was very, um, ambitious to launch a, a publishing company that is is based in, on print. And um, what happened was a lot of life happened. And what I did is instead of trying to focus on the bigger vision, just just focus on 
um, the printed issue of, of this bad boy. And so um, of a wealth issue. Yeah. Oh, that's behind me. Go. That's behind um, me. I got one. <laughs> so, that's, so, so that was the, uh, so that was the focus is really just focusing kind of on one thing. And one thing I realized too, in the process of doing a campaign and trying to launch Umber into um, Umber Publishing was um, trying to narrow down how I see myself, right? And, and, the kind of, and the kind of work that I want to do and really managing a publishing company was not really the look <laughs> really I was trying to do. Um, really, it was, about, it was really about being a creative and creating and being a visionary and running a company was not, you know, publishing company was just not in the cards as I, as I thought it was going to be. And so what happened was I really just like, you know, so we raised some money for sure. Um, really what I did is I just focus on the, the meat of what Umber is all about is print, right? And, 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 and a wealth issue. And so with that being said too, you know, this is the last one. Right, you know what I'm saying. So, um, so now, after for the past five years, been self-publishing um, and amplifying voices over a hundred people around the world. I was like, it's, it's time for it's, it's time for me to get amplified. You know, my voice, my art, uh, my vision. Um, and so, um, so really, I'm going to take a step back from Umber um, and try to re see what it's going to be if it's going to be anything. Um, but there's some other projects within Umber that I want to I want to push. But um, but since we last talked, it really was you know was our wealth issue was the focus, mm -hmm. and we and we actually did another uh, bigger publication that was printed too. So this big bad boy um, was also printed as well. And so um, so yeah, so that was really the focus. I was like, let me just dial it back, focus on what is is good for me and mm -hmm. um, um, and self care. And, and kind of like, you know, in a, in a perspective of highlighting my voice. And if I do a project with some, you know, the next project really try to have a, a team sort of like from the ground up mm -hmm. versus me being the visionary and the creative and the publisher and the editor in chief <laughs> and all of the things, um, find a way to, to be sustainable in my approach in doing media um, and really try to Try to focus on on my perspective. I mean, yeah. if I can, and I mean, you know, I think I think that is a pivot. And right. how many things the last, you know, two or three years have taught us is is self care is important, right? Yeah. And and taking care of of just your mental, you know, capacity and and not overextending yourself is such a big deal. And you know, I applaud you for you know trying to go, you know, all in and figuring out that, you know what, for obviously you to be all in is for you to kind of focus on yourself. And I think mm -hmm. that is that is really empowering because sometimes we let the work kind of just dictate what we need to do and not really focus on us. Um, so I'm sorry mm -hmm. that, you know, we, we, we're not gonna have another printed issue, but with you figuring out your stuff, are you still focusing on like tactile things? Because print was, is a magazine is tactile, right? It's not a website, it's not a this. It's, it's like, it's the way you hold it, right? The, the large format and even that BPP that you showed, right? It's a double wide yeah. format. It's like looking at the New York Times, like it is an experience yeah. that is very different, right? And if you look at Tunde's screen, he's helping us, <laughs> you know, visualize the, the, the size, right? I think, you know, are, are you thinking real quick? Are you thinking of, you know, keeping it in somewhat of a tactile format? 
Yeah, I think there's going to be some aspects of it that, because um, one of the, you know, this is, now, this is a scoop, like, you're the first person here in this drawer, so um, I think I've shared it with, you know, with Tunde and some other people um, on the personal level is that if there's any iteration of armor that's in print, I'd rather just focus, like, maybe with one artist or one, one particular person and do something with that versus me having to manage 20 different, you mm -hmm. know, uh, uh, folks involved with the magazine. And so, so that's one, that's one aspect. And actually me and Tunde were, were, were had a meeting last weekend about some, I don't think we're ready to talk about it yet, but there's some stuff that we're looking to kind of, kind of collaborate on and merge um, his vision with fashion and then my vision, you know, with being an artist and a visual designer, see how we can kind of merge that. Um, so I think, I'm, I'm always going to be all about things being uh, like tangible. Mm -hmm. I think I'm always going to focus on that. And so, um, but you know, if I do anything online, I really doubt it. If it is a sort of not, you know, if, it, if it's online, it has to be something different. It has to right. be, you know, right. whether it's in NFT spaces or something that is just on the on the um, on the cutting edge of on the cutting edge of innovation. Okay, maybe that route. But uh, but print, you know, print is never going to go away. But just in terms of me being the <laughs> self publisher and managing the output of it, that is something where you know after yeah, it's of... not sustainable, you know, to have yeah. one person doing all of that stuff. So yeah. you know, looking forward to hearing how how you know the symbiotic relationship between like you know design and fashion will will transpire mm -hmm. in the future. Um, yeah. Thank you, thank you. So Fahamu, you want? I think you there you go. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you were one of my earlier guests, you know, um, I think you were in episode eight and, and we had an amazing conversation. I was able to break up into two, you know, talking <laughs> about just all your work because it was also just a catch up, you know, from, from, we haven't spoken to each other in a long time. But when I, when I look back at revisiting your episode, right, I think your idea was focusing on this concept of public scholarship. Right. And how do you get work out to the people who would benefit from it the most? Right. Making it more accessible. How has that been coming along? It's actually a really interesting um, uh, journey to take. It's a, a, I think it's a really provocative question um, to think about uh, accessibility when it comes to art uh, and especially fine art. Right. Maybe more so than design, um, which is generally uh, much more democratic, right? Uh, um, but the visual art, the, the fine arts, right, have, have historically presented a, uh, a in, inherent barrier uh, to certain communities. Uh, and so really trying to think through those challenges has, has been, um, uh, it's, it's been work. Um, you know, I, I think one of the ways that I've been uh, trying to address that is, is very much uh, through Adama, uh, the African Diaspora Art Museum of Atlanta. Um, and this question of accessibility, um, uh, viability, uh, as it relates to the African diaspora and fine art is at the core of our mission, at the core of our, our purpose. Um, and one of the things that we've kind of taken into account, especially where our programs are concerned, is the the uh, the African concept of call and response, right? Uh, like, how do you get your audience to like 
you know, reciprocate what it is that you are sending out, what you're putting out. Um, and so all, all of our uh, projects and programs are very community centric, very driven from the bottom up as opposed uh, from the top down. Um, so one of the programs that I'm really excited about is a, a series uh, called Permanent. Um, and this is a project where we collaborate with other uh, museums, um, like for example, with the High Museum of Art here in Atlanta. Uh, we go through their collection of uh, African and African-American art, and we select works by artists in those collections and then create interdisciplinary responses to them um, that uh, are designed to create new pathways and new conversations around these art objects, right? So rather than just going and looking at a painting on the wall, we interpret this painting through dance, through original music, um, and we create these films around uh, those experiences that we are uh, we then um, share via via our website. Uh, you can also view them in the museum, which is also really interesting too, because now you can go look at this film piece uh, with dancing and music inspired by this painting, and then be able to go and look at the actual painting and then have a different kind of relationship with it. So. You know, these are the kinds of things that we are thinking about from the Adama side, but it's also a question that's very much at the core of my own personal studio practice. Mm -hmm. So are you, it seems like what you're doing with that concept of, of exploring, let's say, you know, permanent collection of a museum, it seems like you're bringing in this idea of like um, experience, right? Yeah. Changing the scope of what, um, let's say traditional museums are where it's kind of just like, look, <laughs> you know, it's not like re it's not like interact. It's more of just like observe and mm -hmm. then move on. Right. That, it seems yeah, like your go ahead. No, no, I was going to say that's exactly uh, exactly the point. In fact, when we do uh, projects, we don't call our uh, presentations exhibitions. We call them experiences um, because it really is about, you know, um, creating something that is, is, is dynamic, multi-sensory, um, uh, you know, multiple points of entry. Um, and I, I, I know we are not at this part, but I think it's a great thing. One of the, 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 the great things that I love about Ari's work, right? Like um, all of her uh, paintings are like these like snapshots of like moments from her actual life, right? So it's not even like uh, something that's so highly conceptual that you can't get into it. It's, it's so personable and it's so personal that you feel like it's, you know, sometimes I, I look at Ari's paintings, and I'm like, should I be here right now? You know what I mean? Because it, <laughs> it's, but, but it's that experience that I think is resonant for audiences, right? So when people look at Ari's paintings, they have a different kind of relationship. Like, you know, um, like uh, I, I remember early on when I would present some of my paintings in, in galleries and stuff like that, it would be like young black kids walking down the street and they would see my stuff and be like, oh, this is art? Oh, I get this. I, I I know what this is about, right? And uh, you know, Ari's work is reminds me of that. You know, like oh, this is this this can be art too. Like I get this. I can I connect with this, right? I, I I'm experiencing this in a way that I would not normally experience art in a museum or mm -hmm. gallery. So let's. I mean, there's no there's no rhyme or reason to the, this conversation, right? So since you bring up Ari's art, let's talk about Ari's art. Like, what? You know, if this resonated with you, how did you think you came across her art? And and is there a piece that stuck out to you? How did you you all connect? What we you know, give us a little bit of insight. 
Yeah. Uh, so when I first met Ari, she was working at uh, one of the art stores here in, in, in the city. And um, she invited me to an exhibition that she had. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to the exhibition and I was immediately struck by one, the, the aesthetic in her paintings. Um, uh, um, uh, she reminded why her name just flew out of my head, the artist uh, uh, that I'm trying to think of. I cannot remember her name to save my life right now, but I'll keep it moving. But anyway, Ari's work reminded me of hers, like visually, like the, the aesthetic of it was, was very striking. Um, I loved the, the style of the paintings, um, but there was one piece in particular. Uh, it was a, 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 a painting of a, like a picnic scene, you know. And I think it was, you know, I think it was you with your uh, your husband, um, you know. And it was one of my you know, favorite ones. I was yeah. just talking about it the other day. Yeah, I, I I loved everything about it. Like even the perspective of it, it felt like you were in this in in that moment with them, like. It didn't feel like you were an observer. It felt like you were very much a part of it. Um, and that's been something that I think you've, you've carried through um, uh, in your work, even as your style has like evolved and, and, and grown, like you've kept that, that core um, piece of connectivity um, throughout the work. And I think it's really powerful, but you know, maybe Ari, you wanna talk a little bit about some of your, um, uh, your approach um, to your work. Well, I love hearing you talk about it. You know, <laughs> I could keep going. I'm like, yeah, I like to. Hear Doesn't it. that feel good to hear like somebody else describe your work? Yeah, honestly, it feels it feels great. It's funny because I always liked Tommy's work even before I met him. Like when I met him, I knew who he was immediately when he walked into the store I worked in, and I was like, oh my gosh, I know that. I still I saw his work at the high. So it now years later, it's really cool hearing you talk about my work. Anyways, um, also when you were talking about creating experiences, I was like, that is so me. Like that's exactly the reason why I paint is to have that relatability of simple experiences. Like the show I just had recently at Monique Maloche Gallery um, in Chicago, like the whole show is about me and my friends in Atlanta. So I have like a painting on Edgewood, which is a popular street in Atlanta, Edgewood Avenue, where you can like get drunk and have fun. Um, so it's, I always just try and have moments that you can look at and be like, this is so me. And it started off like that when I was doing self portraits, even before I was including my friends, I would have people see them and be like, oh, that's so me, like I would so do that. And I just like that feeling knowing that I can create work that people like me specifically, like black um, women or like identifying women can connect to them. Um, and even if you're not a woman, you can, but that's mostly who I, I make it for. <laughs> but you know, but yeah, so it, it's nice, it's fun. I love doing it and I love just the vibes. Have my friends come over, we have photo shoots, I paint them, it's like a whole experience, so yeah. I mean, that sounds amazing. Right. I, and, you know, going back right to the to the idea, I think Fahamu, you know, mentioned that, you know, when he looks at your work, it feels like you're part of the work, not that you're just observing the work. And I think that's a, a talent in itself. How do you think you create that that atmosphere when you're painting? Is it something by just the way you paint your work or is it the way that you create the the visual, you know, space that allows people to view your work? 
I think it's just the environments that I choose to place myself and the other people in are just environments that everyone can relate to. Like a lot of them are in my bedroom, you know, in uh, the kitchen, outside on the street, at a picnic. I mean, at a, what do you call them? Places where you have picnics. Park? Park. Park. <laughs> <laughs> I love it at the yard. Not the yard, but I think it's really that I've, I've placed my figures in places that most people uh, have been to or know of. So it seems like that idea that Fahamu mentioned, accessibility, right? Like I know that place, so art yeah. is not in the ivory tower. It is literally at the park. Yeah. It is in a, in a room exactly. in the kitchen. Now, that exactly. I think that's great to, to be able to start to allow people to almost see what they're familiar with and also consider that is something it's art it's also reminds me of what fahamu talked about when we when we first had our conversation when you were doing your magazine covers right and you would do your own photo shoots and stuff and then you would just paint yourself right like you but you did these photo shoots like they were crazy it seems like ariel is doing the same thing where like they're so intense they're like they're magazine cover quality shoots but well, yet I'm, mine aren't like that <laughs> i know fahamu mine was like no no don't compare the two bahamas are literally like photo shoots mine are like getting my friends in front of my cheap camera and we're just taking pictures it's it's then I, but then there's no wrong different. right there's no yeah. wrong to the to it because bahamu doing it for himself but you're doing it and the artwork yeah. is still what it resonates yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah and that's that's something i was going to say too that i really love about like the 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 estate by the way the the artist that i was trying to think of before is alice neal Oh, yeah. I was thinking that, but I didn't know if I, I didn't want to put the words she's in. She's one mouth. of my first inspirations in college. Like when I learned about her and how she paint, how she painted, I was like, oh, like I so get this. Because before I learned about her in school, I was trying to paint like more real realism, like photorealism, and it was stressing me out. And then when I learned about how her how she painted so loosely and freely, I was like, oh, I can I can do that, and it's still like acceptable for portraits. So she was a a big inspo. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, definitely. Um, Alice Neal's uh, paintings were um, something that, that that really came to mind. But I, but what I was going to say was that I really love that aspect of your process, right? Like it feels like your photo sessions are like cell phone photo. Yeah. You know, yeah. like your paintings feel like somebody just you know it's like swiping through your you know your uh, photo album on your phone yeah. and like you know, uh, coming, 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 like having these uh, uh, experiences. Um, and, and, and to your point, Georgia, like my stuff was very, very stylized, you know, um, and, and this is another, I think, uh, comparison distinction. Um, both Ari and I use ourselves as subjects in our work, mm -hmm. uh, but Ari's are self-portraits and mine are not, right? Like I'm, I'm, you know, playing a role, I'm performing as a character um, and so it's very much staging, which, you know, I think, uh, Mike, you know, you both you and Sunday could probably uh, get this too, you know, like, there's this idea uh, of, um, you know, marketing and, and, and media where you're, you're selling an idea versus the actual person, right? Um, and so and, and my, my work has been like an interrogation of that idea, like stripping that idea open and, and exposing the, the, the person behind the idea, right? Like, um, and so that's been a really interesting thing, but I'd love, uh, you know, um, I love the idea of like the magazine, like that's such a powerful 
platform. Um, and it says so many different things. You know, I've, as I'm hearing both of you all talk, like one of the things I want to explore too is on my on the artist side. So I went to I went to Art Institute of Atlanta from from '94 to '97. So I lived in Atlanta for three years, and um, and I went to school for illustration first. And so that's my first that's my first entry is drawing, right? And so I'm trying to think about what you know, doing more self portraits of me and using me as a as a as a muse for my next phase of art and um because i think too even when i when i do an umber i was doing umber for myself right let me give myself something that i don't see right you know what i'm saying so i feel like there's a way to where you 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 become your own like muse but 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 ari just how you're talking about i mean as you're um as as you're talking about you're taking your your photo photos with your phone or just a cheap camera. I'm thinking about almost like if your artwork was to be in a phone and you just kind of was was yeah like swipe through and see it. Oh yeah, this is the this is the image of I don't know. I just thought of it as like a visual. You go to your a gallery space and you literally have to like swipe something and the next image shows in the in a phone kind of setting i don't know I'm, that's a close I'm, concept i i don't think like it makes sense know. for the paintings i do since they're supposed to be like every day like it's like you took a photo mm -hmm. some of them some of them like if they're in the bedroom or something it's like i probably wouldn't take this photo but it's still for the person to be like you know i would so do that that would be me right yeah, it, see, it seems like you know we're looking at how you know we translate just images from different locations, right? I think Fahamu's idea of, you know, this is also the times, right? In the 2000s, right? The cell phone was not as readily available and as good of quality to be able to do that, right? You probably can do that now and be like, it's no big deal, right? So for him, you know, working in magazines like we used to, there was an official photo shoot you had to make. So to replicate that, you would just, in your head, do it, right? But now the tools are so much more accessible and Ari's like, yeah, I don't need to do all that. I just need to be able to, to do something. And I think Mike is talking about the evolution of of just how he thinks about what he needs to to you know progress in and you know i see that we're talking about you know tunde and tunde does fashion and writing and all of these things how do you how do you think just the way you work fits into the conversation of just like what your aesthetic what what, what kind of aesthetic do you bring to your creativity when you're working I mean, definitely on the fashion side of things, I everything is, is heavily influenced by the continent and specifically West Africa. Um, and I think that's like how I approach everything. It's, it's a, for me, it's about fusing um, cultures across the diaspora that I've come across. And so um, beginning like when I first went to Ghana in 2016 um, and just being exposed to more than just the very like, you know, there are the kente fabrics that aren't really kente, these Ankara wax print fabrics, a lot of which actually aren't traditional patterns. Like a lot of them are printed in China and then shipped to West Africa, all these things. There's that side of them, but then I'm like, wait, what about all of the actual traditional fabrics prior to the Dutch bringing wax print um, and not the batik print, which is different, but like the actual 
uh, newer wave and like, what are these woven fabrics look like in Ghana, in Burkina Faso, uh, in Mali? What is like mudcloth or bogolan look like? Um, and then, but in the fusion of that, the diaspora, it comes from what does like the West Coast meets West Africa in a fashion standpoint um, look like? And so, you know, a lot of times we look at these traditional fabrics and folks, at least uh, from, from where I'm from in Oakland, it's like, I wear, like, you know, it's, it's like shunned or it's not viewed in a way of like, oh, this is something that can be high fashion or luxury fashion or urban streetwear or whatever. It's just like, oh, that's like the African stuff that you're wearing over there. And so in approaching it, I was like, okay, how do we actually fuse the two um, and bring these textiles that have so much rich history uh, and culture behind them um, and bring them into this uh, different context of making pieces out of them that aren't traditional pieces, right? They're not captons, they're not um, batikiris, they're not like the longer flowing um, styles that are worn in West Africa that fit the climate over there and are very like practical and functional, but now it's like, okay, I'm making trench coats out of mud cloth because I was living in Harlem at the time and it's hella cold. <laughs> and these are, you know what I'm saying? And these are thick fabrics that I can line and do that. And so just being very um, practical about what it was that I was making and thinking about who um, would want to wear them, but bringing in a very historical context. And for me, it's much deeper than just like simply fashion and making things um, that people want to wear. It's, it's also about getting people more familiar with the content, getting people more curious, especially Black Americans like like myself who had never experienced that. So I went there, this is an entry point to dispelling a lot of the myths and negative perceptions and stereotypes um, that folks have over there. And so just trying to be a gateway um, and a bridge in folks thinking and their perception, um, but using fashion to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like everybody's having this conversation about accessibility, but also intentionality, right? Like being really intentional about the work that you create and why you do it, right? Like they be able to bring the outside in and trying to let people know that the art world is not something that needs to be looked upon as, as you know, something that's for the rich or the wealthy or, you know, people who have quote unquote, you know, money. It's, it's how do you approach the idea that art is something that's accessible and, and valuable to all. And the way we look and perceive things is really important. And then looking at, you know, Mike and, and Tunde with the idea of, you know, making almost like a history lesson of taking stuff from the West African, you know, um, ideas and, and, and fusing them with, you know, modern styles to make them more palatable and, and not, you know, but not for a white audience for, you know, your people to be like, Hey, you should understand what this is. And I loved even the nuances of you being like, Hey, even some of the stuff is made in China and shipped to West Africa. And then, you know, like basically thought of as, African and you're like no I'm not even talking about that I'm talking about before all that right and you know that obviously takes a lot of effort for you to even understand that because that is 400 plus years of you know things going around and and that narrative could have easily been taken away and you've learned that right and then Mike giving the options and opportunities you know for people to do printed word and just you know making decisions of using only three colors technically to you know or actually two colors really just black and brown right to make a magazine and in all the different versions right everything is intentional it's purposeful it's it's to create something now 
let me ask you all of this. Like, you know, cause sometimes intentionality just happens or sometimes it's actually intentional. When you create your art, are you really thinking about just showcasing your skills and your talent? Or is there something behind you really focusing on, I have to do this extra work? I'll, I'll just go first, <laughs> just because I was just already in it. But um, for me, I think the design process of what the actual garment looks like is more just kind of like, okay, um, I have an understanding of what these fabrics mean, their history, but also what is my eye like actually attracted to? And then the intentionality comes out of that. However, when it comes to the actual processes of how I make things, I'm very, very intentional about making sure that all of my production is done in Ghana and is done in West Africa, because I can easily send stuff to LA in the garment district. Like I got fabric wholesalers from all of these different places to do that, but it's also about the ways in which they're made and who is being supported in the actual manufacturing process. And then every step of the logistics is like, I want to be intentional about, I know where these fabrics are made, who's making them. I correspond with these folks directly. I know who's doing the cutting. So um, all of that. So I think for me, it's a, a fusion of the two. Oh, I was just going to say for me, um, it, every painting I make is usually, well, not usually, it's intentional. Um, because like what I said earlier, I'm not making it for me, I'm making it for people like me, because I know when I was younger, I would have loved to see paintings like the ones I make. So every painting I do, it's, I'm always thinking of like either a friend or like I have two little sisters, I'm thinking of them, or just just anyone that can see it and feel represented positively. So yeah, they're always intentional for me. Um, for me, it's a little bit of both. Um, when I first came up with the, the idea for Umber, um, I was like, you know, when I see these print magazines, particularly like the art focused magazines or magazines focused on graphics and layout, um i'm like i don't i don't know if they are intentionally trying to trying to make a white magazine they're just highlighting their people right so what if i just highlighted my people right and most of my people are black and brown like that's just it's not something i've oh let me make sure i know this person who is such and such like i just know them right i've known them for five and ten years so like let me let me bring okay you're dope you're dope you're dope come <laughs> come and be in my magazine so that's really how i approach doing umber and the only thing I feel like I was intentional about is how I wanted the content to be represented. Um, intentional about it being really focusing on the layout and the illustrations and and the photography and the, and the typefaces. Like I was intentional with that, but with the people who I brought into the magazine, it was like, it was just my folks, right? And then whoever, whoever else I didn't know, it was because I was inspired by their work or somebody just, oh, Mike, you should know about this person. And so really there was a mixture of intentional, but the mixture of, of also being a little bit organic, just kind of what it is. And because I've always said, um, you know, for me, and I don't know if George, we, we said this before in our conversations, in our conversation before is that I always, you know, 
recognize I'm black. See that I'm black, but but rock with me or hire me, hire me because I'm a dope graphic designer. Like that's the that's the that's that's it first. Because then what that does is that opens up your opportunities to work on a whole lot of other stuff. First, just being in one um, perspective of art, you know, what I'm saying design, and so so I'm always I'm balancing those two those two aspects. Um, of being intentional, but at the same time as being authentic with, with who I am, regardless of if I'm black or not. Like I just love fonts, right? That's just that's just you know for me. Even with with fonts, it became it became a legacy of my dad as a visual artist. You know, so he was a visual artist. He was a fashion designer um, in St. Vincent for the Carnival. He did uh, sign painting. He was a muralist and all of this work. And so, so in some senses, what I'm doing is sort of infused, infused in me just from him, him being that uh, visual artist as well. But so I don't know, I feel like it's a little bit of both where it's like, yes, I want to be intentional with the output, but how it comes about is just, it just, I'm, I'm, I'm being authentically me, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm uh, not only intentional, I'm also deliberate. Um, you know, in, in the things that I uh, create in the way that I approach in the way that I think and what it is that I'm trying to say. And, and all of that is really because I recognize at a certain point in my, in, in my own life that uh, even when arbitrary, visual culture impacts us, right? Like, even if I wasn't um, aware of the mechanics or the psychology behind those images, someone was somewhere, right? Um, and as a person who is a maker, as a person who creates images, I felt I had a responsibility uh, to, to, to use my talent and my gift to be intentional and deliberate and to make a certain kind of image that's going to uh, resonate with a certain kind of experience, right? Uh, and, and, and all of that really kind of came out of, you know, my love of magazines and, and uh, Double G, you know this, man, we, we used to study magazines back in the day doing graphic design and like figuring out stuff. And, you know, all of these magazines that I was flipping through, you know, I would see these images that purported to uh, represent black men, but it didn't necessarily feel like me, you know, like it wasn't who I was, but I felt compelled to act like that because that's what the that's what everybody said. That's what society said I was supposed to be, right? Um, and so my work uh, really be, uh, evolved out of trying to redirect uh, that narrative and to open up that narrative to make it uh, um, palatable or and acceptable to a variety of Black male experiences, and not everybody got to you know grow up in the projects and shoot guns and sell drugs like you know that's not that's not every black person um but even now as my work has continued to expand and expound on notions of blackness and incorporate like Tunde, I, I i incorporate a lot of west african influence in my own uh examinations of of blackness and i'm combining hip-hop and i'm combining west africa and i'm combining you know european uh, art practices, and I'm, I'm bringing all these things together to make a very, very intentional and deliberate statement about Blackness. Um, so everything that I use, like this piece over my right shoulder here, if you can see, uh, 
Like if I use a mask, if I use a costume, if I bring in an element, I, I need to know exactly where it's from, how it was used, the context for it, right? Because all of that lends itself to my own statement that I'm making through the work. So I have to, you know, I, I'm very researched um, and very intentional about the research that I do for, for the work that I create. And, and I see that in your work. Like I, I've heard of your name before, Fahomi, but I haven't really like dived in. And then after George made a connection, like I, what, everything you're saying, I totally see that in your your visual art, right? And that's why I love about Atunde too is with with Tunde too is that he's very intentional with what he's doing with his with his fabrics. He's very intentional with like when you. It's almost like as as Tunde was talking, I was thinking about hip hop, how mm -hmm. hip hop in a way, I learned about jazz through hip hop. So hip hop was that conduit for me to understand about jazz. I mean, my first hip hop song that I loved was Rocket by Herbie Hancock, mm -hmm. not knowing he was a jazz artist 20 some years in mm -hmm. by that point, right? And so I think if somebody is buying, um, uh, uh, if somebody is buying um, some clothing from from Tune Day, there's going to be history lesson attached to it, right? If somebody is looking at at your work for Hamu, there's going to be a history lesson attached to it, and like it's like almost like if they want to go to Wikipedia, like wait a second, this mask is from such and such. Like if there's a way where you can kind of like click it and you know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> a visual Wikipedia. Oh my God, Mike, that would be amazing. <laughs> We get, we get what what, we what if that really happened, now. right? If somebody is, you know, so for Harvey, say if just one of your paintings, right? We just have it there and you click this and then, oh, this this purple shirt is, the reason why he's wearing a purple shirt is because X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. This hope graphic on this t-shirt, this means blah, 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 blah. This mask is from this, like, almost like, if you kind of, almost think of like an app. <laughs> Yeah, like you heard it here first, man. Everybody heard it here first. <laughs> nobody's oh nobody's God, stealing this idea. Man. We heard it here yeah. first. You know, it was on this conversation. We're talking about a visual Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. That's just for even just for visual, just for the learning, just for the learning tool, and particularly if you're dealing with black culture, you know what I'm saying? There's this ah god am I. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so okay. Everybody's work so far, your focus is, um, Ari, I, I don't know if you really said it, I guess explicitly, whatever, it's for black folks, right? That's the intention out to like, I'm trying to show, our, show, show us, our community, this perspective. And when other people engage with it who are not black, how do, how do y'all, the whole group, how do y'all how do y'all address that? You know, how do you like, okay, like they're taking this in. It ain't really for like Umber, right? Umber isn't really for like, is, is our perspective as black or brown people. Anybody can read it, but it's really our perspective. But I'm always curious how for everybody here, when say if, say Tune, say if somebody who's rocking your, your garment, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, how, I don't know, just open question to everybody, like, how do you feel like when other folks engage with it, would you know the intentionality of your work is for black folks? I mean, I get this question often. I have a pop-up or I have somebody inquiring about um, something I'm selling. And, you know, again, like, I mean, you, this is like a more kind of like toned down mud cloth that I have on now, but like some stuff I make is a very traditional 
black, brown, and white mug cloth that you know, like this is clearly West African, this is from Mali. And so I've gotten inquiries um, from non-black folks. And I mean, really just from, from white folks who have asked like, yo, I like this jacket a lot. Like, can I wear it? That Like, can I buy it? And so obviously I'm like, I mean, I, I can't, you know, when I get an online sales, like I can't stop anybody from doing <laughs> anything, right? Um, but when I had a conversation with them, I'm like, this is what I'll say. You have to be prepared for whatever anybody um, will say to you for wearing this. I'm like, regardless of what my viewpoint on it is, and I'd let folks know, like, this is made for Black people. Uh, I mean, by Black people, for Black people. And I appreciate the support. And I think I actually make a wide range of things so that, um, you know, some stuff is just like, it's a traditionally woven fabric, but it's in all black. And I'll say like, you know, if you don't, um, if you're not fully comfortable really with yourself getting this and you don't want to have this attention on you, then like you get something more toned down that isn't super specifically like, a, you know, I'm saying a bright kente pattern that folks is going, is going to raise some eyebrows uh, when you do that. And so again, I can't just, tell folks like, no. Um, however, I just want folks to be aware. Um, and if they are going to purchase to really have a respect and an understanding of what it is that they're getting themselves into and why, um, regardless of your intentions. And it's like, you know, I love your work. I want to support. I love the background. I love everything. Um, the production process and all of that is just, there's this other side of it. Um, so that's tough. Oh, it's tough. <laughs> you know, it makes me think, I just randomly thought about um, like when black hairstyles, like women hairstyles and like a white girl comes in and she wants braids and it's like, either you're gonna be like, no, get out. Or you're gonna be like, well, I'll do it, but be ready for people to probably drag you for having these like braids in your hair. Like it, that's a tough, that's, that seems tough. But for me, I don't really, I don't ever, think about like what white people or other people think I'm like when they relate I'm like that's cute like I I like that you like that but I have like tunnel vision on who my art is for so I kind of only focus on that but um it's interesting when other people are like that's so me and I'm like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, I think for me um you know that question is 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 one that that you know throughout my career I've, I've I've heard a lot, and my response is generally that you know while my my work focuses on and is 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 intentional towards um, uh, rewriting narratives uh, around Black masculinity, ultimately at the end of the day, what I'm talking about is identity. And every one of us, regardless of what your identity is, struggles with questions of identity, right? Like, who am I? Why am I? What am I? Where am I? Right? Like, we we all ask ourselves these questions. And so, as uh, I, you know, this goes back to something you were talking about uh, before, Mike, about authenticity, right? Um, when you are being authentic to yourself, it automatically opens you up for everyone else to relate because everybody has these same questions. We all have these same questions and challenges. Um, But the other part, the other side of that, which often frustrates me about that question 
is that people don't ask white people that question about the work that they create. Like, you know, uh, uh, be, because of like the, the history of living and growing up in the West, whiteness is like the center, like it's the default. So everybody expects everything to automatically center that white experience. And so when you do something that doesn't center the white experience, then people begin to take issue with it or they feel like they can't connect to it. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a falsehood and it's something that has to be, uh, it has to be addressed. And the only way it can be addressed is by artists who are not coming from a white perspective, centering their own identities and their own perspectives in the work that they create. That's the only way you decentralize whiteness is by not making it the center. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I totally it, agree. You're Fama, You're so you're so absolutely right. And I think there's, um, I feel like sometimes there's a weight to the work that I do sometimes, and I don't know if you all feel the same way too. Um, but there's you know, sometimes I just want to just create and do the work that I want to do, um, and not have to have it always mean something and this like it just sometimes the weight of it, it just is, is too much. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I was listening to everybody have a conversation and Mike, you're touching on it right now. Um, is that like responsibility of, you know, creating for your people, right? To know that you have, you know, um, an audience in mind and to make sure you do the right thing in your own perspective and make sure you're representing it a certain way, right? That weighs very heavy and you can just see how Mike was just kind of talking about it, right? That added responsibility of like, he can't just create. Like there almost has to almost be some intentionality, right? Even if he could, but there's like a thing in the back of his head, right? Which is unfortunate sometimes when you just want to be a creative, right? An artist, a designer, a fashion, you know, um, style, like all of these things, like, and, but you have to actually think about all of these other things that come into play. How do you, how do you grapple with that? Can anybody want to just share some things? I really wanted to talk about like the idea of struggle, but I think Mike's, um, idea of just like thinking about responsibility, is it actually more impactful one? Well, I'll, I'll just, in the, I'll follow up with just that. Cause I was just thinking about, it. I mean, for me, the, like when I, so I've been making hip hop beats since I was in Atlanta, actually I learned in Atlanta. So I've been making as a hobby for the past, like, like 20 some years. That's just for me. That's my therapy. I might, I'm not doing it to make money. There isn't, you know, my identity is, is, is attached to it in terms of like the music I'm inspired by to make my beats when I'm sampling Aretha Franklin or um, Herbie Hancock or, you know, Michael McDonald, whatever. Right. And so, um, so that's my sort of my way to, of creating without it having any weight to it. Um, a lot of the work I do for clients, there's no weight for that, right? I mean, there's a little bit of freedom towards like somebody wants me to work in a logo. Cool, here's your logo, pay me, it's done, it's a wrap, right? You know what I'm saying? Like that's where I have that balance, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and I, I want to actually create more work that doesn't have a weight to it. Umbra had a weight to it, you know what I'm saying? And so. Um, a lot of it, the weight wasn't there because I was passionate about doing design and I love print media. There was no weight in that, but just waiting to, well, you know what? Let me, uh, in reverse. The weight was 
ensuring, making sure that any, you know what? Wait a second. <laughs> the what? There was the only way was just me being a self publisher. That was the only way of it. Me just having to do everything right. Um, and I think the only the way it comes into when people are expecting you to do something. Oh, you should do, you should say something or you should, you should produce something because such and such is happening. That's when the weight comes in too. But when I actually create, um, the weight is actually lifted because I'm doing it the way I want to do it versus doing it because somebody said I, sh I should do it a certain kind of way. And so, um, the weight is also, is all sometimes is the expectation that you should do such, such and such because you are black or because you're a woman or because you are personal color. Or you should say something. Usually, people are asking us, or people are not, or not that person, right? Or not from that community. You know what I'm saying? And so, yes, yeah, usually the way is the expectation. I feel like, you know, what I'm saying, but my my levity um, uh, um, is doing the work that I want to do, and, and I've been doing it my whole life. And um, the weight of it sometimes just the people just have the expectation that you should do something, or you should make a response to X, Y, and Z. So, yeah. yeah I think that's, one, that's to your point, Mike. Um, I actively, actively avoid people trying to make me feel responsible for something, right? Uh, like, I, I don't feel like the work that I create is a weight, like it's actually quite liberating <laughs> for me to make work about the Black experience and push against these societal uh, uh, issues and things like that. Like, I, I, I really love that. Like, it, it, it makes me feel like I know why I'm here, right? Like, it's yeah. my purpose. But the larger question of, like, um, you know, the responsibility, especially when it comes to issues of, like, uh, race and racism and things like that, and people being like, oh, you know, like, especially uh, uh, in 2020, that summer of reckoning, everybody was calling me, like, what should we be doing? I was like, don't ask me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, James, ba I love uh, James Baldwin is one of my favorite thinkers. And, and he talks about, uh, uh, I, I'm not going to say the word here, but he talks about the, the N word, right? And, and the, the necessity of it, right? And he poses this question. Uh, why is it necessary Like for white people? Like, why did you need to create this? Because you created it. That doesn't exist naturally in the world. There's no in point. Show me an N word. Show me one. Where is it? Right? You made that up to justify something that made you feel good about yourself. So you need to ask yourself, why did you create that? Right? Um, and it's the same thing that I feel about, like when you ask this question about weight and, and the responsibility, um, especially when it comes to issues of race and people feeling like as a black person, it's my responsibility to change their mind or to make them feel comfortable, right? I don't do that at all. Like my work is very, like I said, intentionally and deliberately black. I'm giving you this black. Sometimes I'm giving you this black with a middle finger. Like, like I'm very, very intentional and deliberate as there's no punches uh, held, you know, like because I'm being true and authentic to myself. If you have a problem with it, that's your problem. You need to figure out what, what that problem is for yourself. It's not mine. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Love I it. Yeah. I mean, that's so yeah. deep. I mean, both of it. Right. And I, and I, I mean, intentional and deliberate, 
right? I knew when I asked that question, you know, Faham, that was a toss up for you because I knew that <laughs> what your answer was going to be. I mean, you know, it was definitely this is what you've been doing, you know, for that whole time. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and, and so th honestly, this conversation could probably go on forever, but I know we have time constraints and, <laughs> and things like that. Um, but what do you think as you're all talking about your own intentionality and your own responsibility and either outside influences or personal perspectives of how you create your work. Um, if you could think about how to make it easier for the next person coming up behind you, what would you want them to know? What would you give them if they needed something? I'm going to use my favorite. Uh, and and I've heard this story, but I haven't been able to verify it, right? Um, um, but there's a story that says there was this uh, young understudy to Frederick Douglass, um, uh, who, you know, would follow him, you know, assist him when he gave his speeches and stuff. And when Frederick Douglass was on his deathbed, you know, his understudy asked him, how can I continue the work that you're doing? What, you know, how can I, you know, uh, uh, make sure that your efforts don't die? And Frederick Douglass' uh, advice to him was agitate, 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 right? Um, and that's what I would say. That's what I, you know, if, if Ari were to ask me, and she probably has, and I probably have told her this, is to agitate. Like, don't take it easy on people. Don't soften the blow for anybody. Like, be real, be true, be authentic, be intentional, be deliberate, agitate, agitate agitate like um i was uh before i came here um i was giving a talk at a at a school um and you know i was telling uh, I, I told the, the the children there you know very very similarly uh you know my whole approach to my work is never about trying to tell people what to think i just want to make you think now what you think that's up to you right <laughs> But, but my job is to, to is to toss that questioning grenade into the middle of the room, right? Um, so that's me. Agitate, agitate, agitate. I like that. I was just gonna say, be authentic, be yourself. Um, I think that's really important, and that that's like all I can say. I don't know. I'm still learning, but I would say be authentic yourself we're all still learning what you hear right. always always it's hard for me to be like this is what i would tell someone if they asked me because i'm always like i don't know like i'm i'm learning too like we're i don't know like just be yourself but that's a beautiful answer right like and it's a, yeah. it's it's true you know like to that point like who who wants to know all the answers no but one. i think like, you saying you don't know is also powerful right Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think you being like, yo, I'm still figuring it out too. Let's maybe do it together. But I'm still don't ask me that question. You know, I yeah. think I, I think we 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 sometimes maybe just feel that pressure to be like, well, I need to have an answer to this question, you know? Yeah. And I think sometimes we're like, yo, I'm still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So um Mike say, or, or uh Tunde, you even want to take it? Yeah, I'll just say, um I mean, related to that, my advice would actually just be to get outside of your comfort zone. Um and I mean that like in a physical sense, because what even sparked me getting into fashion and clothing design was two very um, distinct 
experiences, none of which happened in my hometown of Oakland. So when I went off to college, I, I did my undergrad at Yale. So I'm in New Haven, Connecticut, but I'm from, I'm from East Oakland, like really from East Oakland, born and raised here, went to all public schools. And so the way that I was socialized and my understanding of clothes and just how, especially in high school, like Chief Keith was popping, everybody wanted to have true religion jeans and a Gucci belt and some foam posits and a polo shirt and all of that. But it was just like, we all 15 years old, we all broke, but it's crazy that we'll save up this much money to you know, buy into this image, but it's because of the way we've been socialized and that's what we put value on inside of that community. And so it was just so crazy to go across the country and get dropped um, into New Haven, Connecticut on this campus. And what the, the moral of the story is, I looked around and I was like, oh, wow, like it allowed for me to just like reflect and be like, that, that's crazy. I was like, really how heavily I had bought into this understanding that me and all the young folks that I grew up with have bought into and now I come here and it's like nobody actually cares about this type of stuff like this girl's dad is on Forbes list and this dude's grandfather just gave a hundred million dollar donation it was just it was just dropped into like the wealth side of things but also just symbolism and how much that's marketed to our community and how we present ourselves through clothes and then the second one was when I went to Ghana and just was able to just explore something new like I didn't I didn't grow up saying oh I want to design clothes and um, get into that it just so happened because I got exposed to an accessible way to do that by being in Ghana and working with tailors and having access to fabrics and then it was just something so yeah my advice would just be to venture outside of the comfort zone physically um, travel if, if if you have the means to do so um, and it doesn't have to be far it could be from Oakland to Sacramento it could just be you know what I'm saying anything just to broaden your perspective and that's one of the things that I'm again actively learning every time I go a new place is just like learning a different way of life a different set of values a different way folks present all of that awesome Mike oh man um, the word kept coming up for me is um, um, is challenges. Um, embrace your challenges. It's going to happen. People are going to tell you no. You still do it. Um, that sometimes that's the hardest thing to like try to put something out there and and somebody is saying, oh, I don't really like it. I don't, I don't know what what this is. I don't know what you're trying to do. This is making any sense. This is insane um just be prepared for like people not really liking your stuff or people not really understanding it or not people not really wanting to rock with it and going to the next i mean there are so many you know the nose really shaped me um and what i'm doing the the passes really shaped me um not in a way where it's like being resentful or being like petty but it's like it just means that you keep refining what you're doing. And so, and, and challenges are unnecessary. They are necessary. It should not be easy. It should, if it's easy, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't think it should be easy. It, it should not be. be easy. I mean, the challenges are growth, right? That's how you yep. grow, right? You, you grow yep. from the adversity, you know, you grow from the ability to, you know, you, you learn where to not go and you know which directions to go by by knowing that there there's a an area you shouldn't be you know messing with, and so you know to end up on this theme of you know the state of black design or the state of creativity because we have artists and and, and fashion people right not just designers on this you know call, 
what do you think the state of black design slash creativity is today and should be in the future? I'll say now, uh, just because I feel like I'm the newest to this space, having not necessarily grown up in an artist, anything like just kind of stumbled upon this by doing, but I do think it is ripe with opportunity um, and right with the opportunity to actually maintain control, not only of our narrative, but also of the ownership of our art, the distribution platforms, where it's shown galleries, screenings, storefronts, like all of that. I just think we're at a very pivotal moment um, in history where a lot of folks are thinking more about how can you be an autonomous community. Uh, but within this, this the, the art space, like, um, I think is just very, very uh, ripe for folks to really collaborate and work together. Um, yeah, to build up that vision, I think we all somewhat collectively have um, in building that, that network, that framework, that infrastructure uh, to showcase everything that folks are creating. Anybody else want to take this? Uh, I'll just say, um, if, if you look around, uh, if you look around right now, you'll see that there's been a massive, massive uh, uh, shift away from uh, what has traditionally been uh, our like media and and uh, visual culture, right? Like you go into any bookstore and it's littered with like novels and histories and biographies and you know, things by black authors everywhere. You turn on the television, everybody's, you know, fighting for content that's like black stories and black content, right? Like the, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a great, I think a great decentering of, of, of whiteness that is happening across uh, genres and across disciplines, right? Um, and I think in terms of where we're, where we're, where we are and where we're going, uh, now is really the time to really like, now is the time for ownership. Um, I, I, and I think that that will be like the, the, the biggest thing is, you know, cause there, there's a, like I said, there's, there's so much interest and focus on that right now that people are investing these dollars into owning these stories because that is where the world is going. We have to own our own stories own our own platforms, right? Because God forbid 15 years from now, someone decides that Asian stories are the big thing. And they start shifting all the focus to, you know, Asian story and then black people kind of get pushed to the back because we don't own anything, right? Like now we're back struggling and fighting for visibility uh, as opposed to if we own it, we can sustain it, we can maintain it. Um, and that doesn't mean that other voices don't get heard. Right, but ours just doesn't get exploited in the process. Right, so ownership prevents exploitation. Ooh, nice. That's a, that's a bar. That's a bar right there. That's, that's, that's a t-shirt. I'm making that t-shirt. <laughs> I had one thing that I thought I was thinking that I I don't know if it answers the question perfectly, but I was thinking like specifically for the kind of art that I create that's kind of more like mundane everyday experiences. I feel like now and push into the future, it's gonna be more of that accepted like in the black culture realm because I have artist friends that we've talked about how 
they worry about them just painting average black experiences being like not enough and not doing enough for our people. And I think we're starting to get to where this is something that's acceptable that might not have been like looked at as powerful before. Um, and I feel like Carrie Mae Weems had a quote where she also said that, that she loves seeing how like work like this is more looked at as powerful and not just like mundane. So I think that's something to look forward to in the future is just accepting all types of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe. No, no, you're real talk. Uh, you know, because to, to, to your point, Ari, I think there's been historically like a, it, it, like black people who have made it into the spotlight have been considered exceptional. You know what I mean? Like you had to be damn near uh, Superman, you know, yeah. to 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 get uh, uh, to get recognition and and um, to get attention. Uh, but now, like it's you know we're starting to see more and more of like just the normal. Every we're 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 allowed to be human beings. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think the more we create, the more stories we tell, the more images we paint, the more magazines we make, the more podcasts we host, the more human we become. Um, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. You're such a good speaker. Like, yeah, you really, you, you really are. <laughs> I wish he's I a could doctor for a reason. <laughs> I know, literally. Like, I wish you could just say what I'm thinking, so it sounds like that when I say it. <laughs> But then it wouldn't be the same. It it, it was beautiful for me. It would voice. be better. No. <laughs> oh, but I would do that. <laughs> Mike, you want to uh, add? Or are you good? Yeah, I don't know, man. Everything. I, I'll just say this. So resilience was first coming up, but after hearing everybody was everybody saying like is push, the state of black design is the push, um, and then the future is like thriving, we're thriving now, we will see more evidence of us thriving. And so um, resilience and push and thrive. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you all. I mean, you know, ownership, opportunity, you know, acceptance, you know, push and thrive. I think these are great words in terms to, to end off with a conversation where I really, you know, this is the first time I was able to, you know, come back and revisit some of my conversations with, with previous guests. And also I love that we were able to bring new people on and I'm, I'm getting to meet, you know, Ariel, Danielle and Akatunde Ahmad. You know, I really think that it's, it's a testament to just all of us and our ability to, to be close knit and keep each other close to be able to push each other forward. I think that's a great thing that we all tend to do. Um, you know, and, and put each other on, right? I think that is really where the power is, you know, in, into, you know, owning our stories, owning our, our narratives, um, determining how people see us, right? And the more that we all do that, the more that nobody can take that away from us. And I really appreciate all of you being on this live version, this, this, this kind of just visual version of my show, because it's usually only just an auditory version. So this is kind of weird, right? But, you know, I really, really, um, think that this conversation was way deeper <laughs> than I wanted to. And I think Fahamu and Mike definitely pushing those conversations because I love the way you were asking each other questions. And um, this is Works in Process, the live version for the State of Black Design. Thank you, everybody. 
And I can't wait for all you, you know, to see this conversation later on. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.